0: Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Paid all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Father, we come to you uh, this morning, first of all, praying for our brothers in India. How We pray for Pastor Kaniah that you would arrange for his safe arrival with his family and his church, with you'd reunite him with his his community, Father, we pray for the men who have him. We pray that you would open their eyes, that even maybe through having them there with them, that his witness would be strong and that his testimony would be clear and that you would change their hearts. Father, we pray for <coughs> Pastor Maria. We pray that you would be with his family, his wife, Uh, If he has children, his church, we pray for your comfort, for your grace. God, we ask you as we look at this passage that you would help us. Father, there are things here that are incredibly difficult for us. And we pray that we might honor you. We pray that we might see things as you see them. Father, we pray for your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is probably not going to be your favorite passage because of a couple of reasons, okay? And so maybe reason number one that this would not be on anybody's favorite list is because it it has in it the, the word that is probably the most unpopular word in the American church. And it's a phrase, actually, in chapter 13, 1. And it is the little phrase, be subject, okay? Be subject. It's the Greek word hupotasso, and it means to cause, to be in a submissive relationship, to place in order, to submit to the orders or directives of someone. And it was often used in the military to describe ranking underneath someone, okay? Okay. It is the same word that's used in Ephesians 5 and in 1 Peter 3 when it talks about wives submitting to their husbands. It is a similar word that is used for children submitting to their parents. And so, in here in Romans 13, that word is used of citizens, of us, okay, submitting to and honoring and respecting the governing authorities, okay? Now, that is right away not popular, right? Uh that is not popular when when you when you think about what that means for us when you think about us giving genuine honor, genuine respect, and submitting ourselves under governing authorities that we may not agree with, okay? Now what makes this even harder is that Paul knows this, and so he like boxes us in, okay? You'll notice the phrases he uses in verse 1. He says, let every person, like he, he won't let anybody out of this, alright? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He, he, he notice that he doesn't give us any stipulations as to what government it is. In fact, he trips over himself to say there is no authority except from God because he knows what we're going to say. We're going to say, you know what? I'll submit if my guy wins, right? Or if if my candidate wins, if my my political party wins, if the person that I think needs to be elected or if the law that I think needs to go into place, if that goes in, then I'll submit. Paul, Paul, uh, he sees that and he says there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So he means you are to submit to every governing authority you to respect and honor every governing authority, whether you agree with their policies or not, whether wise or foolish, moral or immoral, a hero or a halfwit, sacrificial or selfish, there are no stipulations. and that does not make sense to the American mind, right? That actually makes sense to the Asian mind or to the Central American mind. but for Americans, I mean I, I, sometimes it, it's hard for us to get outside of ourselves, but we are geared the other way, okay? For most Americans, here's the way we think. I will submit to the person that I respect, to the person who, who I agree with, to the person that I think is wiser and better than me. I'll submit to that person, and for a lot of Americans, there is no such person, right? They're still looking for that person that they're going to submit to, but they haven't found him yet. But if they ever find somebody that, that is wiser and, and and more exceptional than them, then, then they will possibly do that. We think in terms of respecting people that have proved themselves, people we admire, people who have lived honorably, but the Bible tells us to Honor and respect and to submit to our God appointed authorities whether they deserve it or not. You see, whenever this word su- submit is used, it's never used in a way that says somebody's earned it. I mean, it's just not used that way. It's not used in a way that says, "Hey, this person's smarter than you, so you ought to submit to him." I mean, it's it's never used that way. the The people that Paul would have been writing about have you read about the Roman emperors? The guys were, I mean, crazy. Like when when I say crazy, I mean literally. They were nuts. I mean, they were they were mass murderers. I mean, they anytime anybody would get in, you know, they would murder everybody around them that they thought might have a chance of taking over their emperor. I mean, they were crazy. They were immoral. Nero would go on to burn Christians at the stake. Okay, so obviously Paul's not saying, man, these guys are really smart. You ought to submit to them. No, he's not saying that at all. Peter helps us out here in understanding this. Okay, so Peter gives a similar passage. By the way, we're going to look at these back and forth because uh, they, they really help each other. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to the way Peter describes it. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. Okay, do you know this little phrase there that I think is interesting? You probably see that. Go back a verse. Okay, go back a verse, back to verse 13. Back it up, back it up. It's not coming. There. All right. Ready? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. No, that's not it. Back in 1 Peter, where are we at? I'll read it. I was going to point at it. All right, verse Peter 2.13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. See, that's the verse that's not in Romans that helps us out, right? Be subject for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. In other words, honoring president, governor, senator, police officer is to honor God. When children honor their parents, they're honoring God. When a wife honors a husband, when she submits to a husband, she is honoring God. All right. And so it, it's almost like God has put temporary placeholders in our lives. And as we honor them, we are honoring him behind the placeholder because he is the ultimate authority. Let me try to give you an illustration for this. So if you've ever done children's recreation, man, if you haven't, I've got a job for you. Okay, this fall coming up, team kid, man, you'll love it. Okay, so if you ever done, okay, so what you got to do is you got to organize them. Most of the time you're playing a game, and you got to organize them in, in, in a way that makes the game work, right? And so a lot of the time, you you've played games before. Somebody's a captain, right? somebody's in charge somebody's the captain of your team you're gonna tell your team what to do you're gonna you know team you're gonna follow your your captain okay so like i'll get in there all right you break up all right you're on this half you're on this half you're on the blue team you're on the green team all right and billy you're the captain of this team all right now you know what happens there's somebody on that team jimmy and jimmy's like oh billy's an idiot we're never gonna win if we follow him you know i I mean how often it happens every time right and Jimmy's like, all right, everybody, don't follow Billy. You know, I mean, he he not He's he's not athletic. He's not smart. He doesn't play. He not. He doesn't care about this. He's like looking up at the birds. You know, don't follow that. that don't follow him. Okay, now that's not going to work, is it? Right. The game is not going to work if you don't follow your captain. Right. And, and and think through this. Okay. If 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 Jimmy if Jimmy starts to, to rebel against Billy's authority as a captain, who actually is he rebelling against? Me, right? Who's he going to get in trouble from? Me. Why? Because I put the dude in charge, right? I'm the one that said, hey, you're in charge here. You're the captain of this team. So, so here's what we learn from Romans chapter 13. We learn that God has created our world to run under authority, right? Authority is God's idea. No, notice verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, all right, man, he locks us in here. If they exist as an authority, they have been instituted by God. So it was God's idea to organize us into families where there would be parents and dads and husbands and wives and and into cities where there'd be city government, into into countries where there'd be a national government. And it is those authorities that are God-given symbols that we are to respect and honor and submit to. Whether they are honorable or not. Let me ask you a question. So, children are to submit to the authority of their parents. Let me ask you this question Are there parents that are not honorable? Absolutely. Are there parents that don't care for their children well? Absolutely. Are there parents that, that that neglect their children? Absolutely. Are there parents that abuse their children? Absolutely. And in fact, let's just talk about the parents in this room here. Who in this room would be a parent and would be able to raise their hand and say, you know What? a hundred percent of the time that I've been a parent, I have done it perfectly, okay? If we have any pregnant women for the very first time in the room, they may be able to say that, but you're the only ones, all right? Because everybody else is gonna, we're gonna know, no, I haven't. I haven't always done it perfect. I haven't always acted honorably. I haven't always been patient. I haven't always made the right call. You know, there's times I got hadn't in trouble, and by golly, it was Avery that did it, you know? There's times where, you know, I I got Haven in trouble, and you know, and She didn't deserve to be in trouble. I've not always done it perfectly. It's kind of hard to figure out who to punish sometimes, right? Or, Or how hard to punish her, whether they should be punished. We haven't always done it perfectly. And so if you follow the American mindset, which, by the way, this is happening, then you've got kids who say, I will submit to the authority of my parents when they deserve it, when they're right. Okay, now, I don't know if you've thought that through, but you don't want to live in that world. All right, you don't want to live in that world. That's a bad world. That's a bad world. When when children decide, I'll only honor who I think is right. I'll honor my dad when I think he's right, and he hasn't been right yet. So I'm still waiting. I mean, that that's the kind of world that you're going to live in. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says children ought to honor parents. Why? You've been reading Proverbs, right? How many you've been doing our Proverbs? How many days you got? Today's the last day, all right? So if you haven't been at church the whole month of July, you've been gone somewhere, and you show up today and you hear about the Wisdom Challenge, you have the great opportunity to to read the Scripture with someone today, Proverbs 31, read it with someone today, ask them what stuck out to them, talk about how you can obey, and you'll be able to say, man, I did the wisdom challenge the whole way. You know, I, I, I was 100% of what I knew, right? Yeah, I got there the 31st, and I did it, okay? What's next, by the way? Uh, someone asked me that. Hey, you go wherever you want to go with that, all right? I would suggest James or Mark. Those are, those are two books that are really good to read together. But I hope you'll continue with your family or your friends or whoever you're reading with. July was just kind of a kickstart. But if you've been reading Proverbs, what have we learned in the book of Proverbs? We've learned over and over and over and over again. That for children to obey and honor their parents is blessing for them. Right? I mean I mean the the book of Proverbs says things like, Man, obey your parents so you'll live. You know, honor your honor your mother and father so you won't die. I mean, it's that serious. Okay? The, the, the book of Proverbs is saying you, what, what what is behind that? What's behind that is not always that your parents are going to be right. What's behind that is learning to be a person who submits to authority, all right? If you've got a little kid and, and and they learn at a small age that when mom and dad say, hey, come here, or hey, stop, or hey, don't touch that, and, and, and if I go ahead and disobey them, there is immediate consequences with love and grace, but there's consequences that, that make me not want to disobey again that child he learns to obey and honor his parents he learns to treat them with respect and their word of respect and then he'll learn to treat his teacher that way and then he'll learn to treat his his coach that way and then he'll learn to treat the policeman that way and then he'll learn to treat you know his boss someday that way and he'll end up being a great employee who comes up through the company and his life is blessed why it started when he was two and his parents taught him to honor. I mean, that, that's the spirit of the book of Proverbs. But you know what? I bet there's a whole lot of us in here who believe everything I just said about children and parents. But then when we start talking about Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, Surely there's an exception, right? That's what you're thinking, right? Surely there is an exception to this. There's not. It is God's plan that we submit to, respect, and honor our authorities. Now, will they always do it well? No, they will not. Will our authorities always rule justly? No, they will not. They will not. Only the king of kings, Jesus Christ, in his coming kingdom is going to reign in righteousness. Okay? Only him. All right? And so Paul goes on to further and says, make sure that we understand this, verse 1, that there is no authority, even the imperfect ones, except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Let me give you some encouragement today. Okay? You know who's going to win the election? Whoever God puts there. Okay? Daniel chapter 2. Ready? Daniel two twenty one, he changes times and seasons, he removes kings, and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. I can't think of a more arrogant, worthless king than Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, but listen listen to what, what God says to Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel four, right before he drives him crazy out of his mind, okay? And that's why Paul says in chapter 13, God sets up rulers and God takes them out. What about the worst rulers? Who would you say is the worst ruler ever to rule a nation? I think I can answer that. Okay, I know, I know we could all speculate about opinions, but I think I can answer that. Let, let, me, let me tell you why. I think I know who the ruler is who made the biggest mistake, the biggest miscarriage of justice, the biggest debacle of a trial, the, the the biggest execution of an innocent man in the history of the world, his name is Pilate, okay? His name is Pilate. I mean, I, I don't see how that could be argued against, all right? Pilate is the guy who sent Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, to be executed as a criminal, all right? That guy made a big mistake. Yet, listen to the way the Bible talks about Pilate. Jesus is having a conversation with him in John 19, and Pilate's, Pilate's kind of mocking him, saying, hey, don't you know that I, I could kill you or I could save you? Don't you know that your life is in my hands? That's what he's telling Jesus. And here's what Jesus says in John 19, 11. He said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Do you hear Jesus what Jesus is saying? He's saying, Pilate, I, I know that you're making the call on this, but what you gotta realize is that I know that you, the only authority you have is because God gave it to you. Okay? Speaking of Herod and Pontius Pilate in Acts chapter 4, listen to this. For truly, in the city where they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Herod and Pilate were evil all on their own, but the Bible is very clear God put them there and God used their evil for your salvation. All right? And so there's abundant evidence in the Bible. That God sets up kingdoms, he takes them down, he sets up rulers, and he takes them out. Now, here's the next thing Paul says. As a whole, those in authority are for the good of everyone. Okay, And again, this may be hard for you to swallow, but that's exactly what Paul is saying. Look at verse 3. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. hear that? He's God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God. Twice now he said that. He's a servant of God. Is that the way you think of Barack Obama? Do you think of him as a servant of God? That's the way that Paul would speak of our president, and the next president, and the last president, okay? They are a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, how can Paul talk that way about men who don't love him, men who don't obey him? How, how can he talk that way? Well, the reason he can talk that way is that even the worst of governments get it right a good percentage of the time, all right? Now, I want you to imagine the worst government you can possibly imagine, okay? And, and I'll guarantee you, in that government... There are men and women who commit crimes and they get arrested and they get sentenced and they are Tried as criminals, okay? In the worst governments around the world, that happens. In our government right here today, and many of you may not be happy with the direction of our government, but let me tell you what's true. There's a lot of people who will do some really bad things, and they'll be arrested, and they'll be tried, and they'll be sentenced by our government. And other people will do some really bad things, and out of fear, or, or they'll want to do some really bad things, but out of fear of consequences of getting caught by the police and punished by the state, they won't do them. Now, are there failures? Absolutely. Are there miscarriages of justice? Yes. Are there people who should be in prison but aren't in prison? Are there people who are in prison that shouldn't be in prison? Yeah. Could rulers do better? You bet. But here's what the Bible operates off of. It operates off of the principle that it knows we are sinners. Every one of us. Mankind is inclined toward evil. Okay, there's never going to be a time where we don't need police. I was, I was watching. I, I don't watch. I don't even watch like 30 minutes of news a week. Maybe, maybe. I mean, hardly any. But I'm telling you, I turned it on uh, last week. I believe it was in the evening, and uh, before Emma gets down, she hates the news. So, so I, I, I was just watching like like five minutes of it before she came down. She's putting Colt down, and and they had this panel on this panel of people, experts, I guess. And this one lady, her her argument was that we should we should abolish the police force. We should have no police you know and and man if i'd have been on that panel i would have said this i would say hey i'll tell you what let's just go ahead and try what you're saying in your city you send your police to our city we'll go ahead and take them you know for as long as you want this trial period let's see how it works for you okay all right but here's the reality there's never going to be a place or time where that's the case where we don't need government where we don't need officials why because men are evil we're inclined towards sin. Mankind does, needs to be restrained. Many of you are students of history, and you know this has happened, this has happened in, in Africa over and over again. It's tragic. But there'll be a wicked ruler. I mean, the guy is horrible. And he'll get overthrown. And when, it, when they overthrow him, nobody is powerful enough to actually take over the country. And so it's left without a government. That is a bad place to live. Listen, you're better with Saddam Hussein than you are no government. In fact, we're seeing that right now. That's actually that's actually what's happening with ISIS. That's what's happening in Syria. There's, there's no stable government. You, know, you take the worst of governments, and they're going to be a restraining factor in evil. They're going to they're hold back some of it. Now, again, they may be completely busted, completely immoral, completely corrupt, but still they're gonna, they're, there's going to be some restraining of evil, okay? In the Bible, there's, there's what I call the worst book of the Bible is Judges, okay? By worst, I just mean saddest. Have you ever read the book of Judges? It's horrible. I mean, there, there's that one story about him cutting up that lady in 12 pieces and mailing her to the 12 tribes of Israel to show how bad the, 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 the thing's gone, The last verse of Judges sums up that time period. Are you ready? Judges 21 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is bad. All right? And so. It's in that spirit that Paul writes, Romans 13. It's in that spirit where he says, man, respect authority, respect your government, honor your king, respect your governor, respect your police, because rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. In general, that's true. I know there are places around the world where you can proclaim the gospel and get arrested. I understand that, but that's the exception. In most places around the world, just don't do evil and you'll be fine, right? Even if you don't... Even if you don't agree with the law, you ought to be glad it's there. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that from Madison to Lincoln Avenue on 22nd Street is 25 miles an hour. Why in the world is it 25 miles an hour there? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's a field on the left side. There's nothing. You could like speed off and drive crazy. And it's dirt. All right. It's, it's, it's nothing out there. On the right side, there's a couple houses and I know the whales have one, but seriously, you know, I mean, there's just a couple there and, and, and did Dino and Ginger live there, but still it could easily be 35, right? I mean, it's not a high traffic road. You're heading out of town. It could be, but it's 25 miles per hour. Okay. Hey, I don't agree with it. I think it ought to be 35, but you know what? I am thankful that we have speed limits. I'm thankful for that. A lot of people are like, they, they, they would love to live in a place without speed limits. Would you really love to live in a place without speed limits? Would you like, have you seen the soccer moms who drive with their leg and on their left hand they're updating their Facebook and while they're doing their eyeliner, you know? Do you really want that gal who is always in a hurry to be able to drive as fast as she wants? No, you do not. The 16-year-old boy who thinks he's invincible and is convinced he can't make a mistake and that if he'd just let him in the Daytona 500, he'd win the thing. Do you really want him not to have any speed limit? No. I don't want people driving down my street as fast as they want to drive. And so even though I don't agree with the 25-mile-an-hour down here, I'm going to try to drive 25-mile-an-hour. And if I forget, which I have, And the police pulls me over. I'm going to be polite. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to speak well of them. I'm going to to tell them, thank you for doing a good job because you're right. I was disobeying the speed limit and I'm glad there's speed limits. Tell me what to pay and I'll pay it. That's what Paul's saying to do. You need to honor those who are in authority. If you do what's good, Paul says, see that in verse 3? So would, you not do, would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive approval. You ought to do what is good. You know what? Most of the time, if you'll simply live a righteous life, you don't have to worry about the authorities. You know, there was a time in my life. I remember this. Emma remembers this. There was a time in my life where when we passed a police officer, I was like, did they turn? Did they turn? You know? <laughs> you remember that? Some of you, same. You know why? Because I was breaking the law. I had things in the car. She's not in the car. I, 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 I was a transgressor. I was a lawbreaker. That's why I feared. Now, when I pass the police, I wave. They hardly ever wave back. But I, I just think, listen, I have a theory. I, I think it's like you got to keep the image of, you know, don't mess, you know, kind of authority. And I think they're waving in their hearts. That's what I tell myself. And so I, I keep waving. And uh, I don't know that I've ever passed Brock. He may wave. I don't know. But anyway. Or Steve, or we've got Derek. He, he might, I don't think Derek could wave at me, probably. But anyway, I wave. And I'm not, what I'm saying is, I, I'm not, I don't fear. Why? Because I'm not doing anything wrong. <laughs> we had a great, great day out here the other day. They had a drug sting operation. <clears throat> and so there's all these plain coast guys, detectives. And they're, like, hiding behind our bus. And they got their binoculars, you know, and everything. Man, we thought it was great, you know. And it was exciting. And, uh, in fact, I even went out there. And I knew where somebody was kind of hiding. And so I went out there. And, hey, you need a check over there. You know, the guy's like, get back at of our church, you know. <laughs> I was like, I'm just helping you out, you know. But but here's the thing. Like, I wasn't, we weren't afraid. Like, like we were like, guys, hide the, the what? Paperclips, you know, the Bibles, you know. I mean, Hey, if they wanted to come in and search the church, I would have let them. I'd have given them a broom, a vacuum, and a you know a waste basket and said, "Hey, help us clean up, man. You know, you can search it all. Just as we go through it, let's go ahead and get rid of. Let's organize a little bit. You know, work on my office here, right? There's nothing to fear if you're doing what is right." First Timothy is an area that I need to work on. I'll just tell you that up front, so you keep me accountable. You come up to me and say, "Hey, Pastor." Have you been doing better with this? Because I, I need to do this. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You should not only submit to your governing authorities; you should pray for them. You should pray for them. I should pray for them. I, I say I need to do better with that, and, and not in the sense that like I don't want to. It's just like I, I, honestly, I forget. Like I, I pray for my small group leaders. I pray for my, my guys. I'm do, discipling. I pray for the church. I pray for the direction. I pray for the sick. I pray, you know, like I, I pray for the guys in India and our missions, and you know, I'm praying for all that. And I just, I just, I don't know. It's not on my mind. And but, but, but here we're reminded. Listen. For those men who are in authority, they're gonna be there. For them to be godly men will have an effect on our life. And so pray for them. Now, here's where I think we're gonna struggle, okay? I'll just be honest. Part of preaching is not only knowing the scriptures, but it's also knowing the people. And so I could be completely off here, but, but here's where I think we're gonna struggle. I think we're going to struggle with these words honor and respect. Okay? Verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honors is owed. Basically, Paul is saying our president, our governors, our senators, our legislators, our policemen, they deserve our treating them with respect and honor, okay? Now, now let me let me tell you why I think we're going to we're going to struggle there. Again, it's our American experience. We struggle honoring people who we think are ridiculous, okay? We struggle submitting to people that we don't agree with. We struggle praying for and respecting people who stand against most everything we stand for. We struggle to honor a president who does not value most everything that we hold dear. And we feel like if I do that, if I do that, if, if I speak well, of them, if I honor them, if I value them, if, I, if, if when I disagree, I do so in a respectful tone, if I do that, how are we going to win? See, I've heard people say that. How are we going to win? And if we don't win, what's going to happen? I talked to my dad this morning. After he did what he did, I said, Man, Dad, thank you. I'm going to use you this morning in the sermon. And he tried to backtrack and begged me not to, but it's too late, buddy. I called him. My mom and dad call him every Sunday morning. My dad answered the phone and he starts speaking Spanish, okay? And he like rambles on in Spanish for about 30 seconds. And then he says, he says, I just practicing my Spanish. He says, if so-and-so wins the White House, he names the candidate that he doesn't want to win. He said, if so-and-so wins, we're moving, your mom and I are moving to Mexico, you know. <laughs> and so I told him two things. I said, number one, dad. Don't go to Mexico. Go to, like, Costa Rica. If you want us to come visit you, then go to Costa Rica or Thailand. But, I mean, for real, Mexico is probably not the best choice if you're actually going to make a move. So Costa Rica would be good. No, no, okay, that's the first thing I told him. But then, then the second thing I told him is, I said, Dad, come on now. He's a believer. He's, he's, he's rock solid, elder in his church, believes the Bible. I said, Dad, don't despair. Okay, here's where I think evangelicals need to work on. We're despairing. We're we're looking at this as we win or we lose or our candidate wins or loses. This is the salvation of America. Listen, it is a spiritual battle. Okay, lest we forget that. This is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. And let let me me tell you maybe the most encouraging thing you're going to hear today. You're not really an American first. Okay? Okay. Let me explain that before you start throwing knives, okay? You're not you're not an American first. Philippians 3:20 says this, but our citizenship is in where? Where is it? In heaven. That's where we belong. That's where we, that's who we are. We're citizens of the Almighty King of Kings, glorious Savior Jesus Christ from him we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. First Peter, the, the same passage where we've been reading about government, right before he launches into his, his be, be subject to the government, he says this in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. What is an exile? An exile is someone who belongs somewhere else, and they're just passing through. They happen to be stuck in this place, but they're homeland is somewhere else and Paul is saying and Peter is saying if you're a born-again believer you have the hope of the coming kingdom of Christ of which you are a citizen and so one of the things that keeps us from despairing one of the things that ought to enable us to say you know what November whatever whatever happens happens and whatever whoever God puts in there he puts in there we're gonna vote we're, we're going we're, we're to do what we can. We're going to speak our mind. We're going to give money, if we feel like it, to campaigns. We're going to do all of those things. But at the end of the day, whatever happens does not change the kingdom. We understand that. Pontius Pilate. Here he squares up against Jesus, okay? He says, you're guilty. He say, he's such a coward that he won't, he, won't, he, won't, he won't do what is right. He's afraid of of, of the Sanhedrin, and so he he puts an innocent man to death. Let me ask you this. Who won? Who won, Jesus or Pilate? If you say Pilate, you don't understand the Bible, okay? He did not win. In fact, God used his wickedness to save your soul. Have you thought about that? God used the most wicked ruler. We already talked about this. I, I think... He's he's the biggest idiot of of, of the long string of rulers in the history of the world, okay? I mean, to put to death the Son of God, that's got to be the dumbest thing ever, okay? God uses that man to bring about your salvation. Why should we worry? Why should we be upset? Let me show you something. It's interesting, the context. Why, Why does this occur here? Why in Roman, why, why does Romans 13 occur where it does? Well, what's the context? Well, remember chapter 12? Okay, so, so think about last week. You ready? Romans 12, start in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Do you see that transition? See, sometimes we get messed up. Do you see that big 13 there? That is not in the original Greek. Did you know that? These, the, the writers, Paul did not write in chapters and verses. He didn't. We put those in later. That's just to help you find it, okay? That's just so when I open up my Bible and I say, all right, guys, we're going to be in the letter to the Romans. And instead of saying, we're going to be in that section where he talks about government and you all having to flip through and find it, I can say, turn to Romans 13, 1, right? But that's not actually in there. Okay, so, so it would read just like this. It would read like, vengeance is mine. saith the Lord, I will repay. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. you're so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Do you see how that rolls in there? Basically, we have a passage about injustice. We have a passage about wicked people doing wicked things. And Paul is saying, hey, leave it to the wrath of God. Don't take vengeance. Don't get angry. Don't ruin your witness. Don't stoop to evil. Overcome evil with good. And then he talks about respecting authorities that may not be good people. I know what you're going to say. That's just a coincidence. Okay, all right. So, let me prove it to you that it's not. When you go to 1 Peter, okay... The other big passage on government that we're looking at. So you start there in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or the governess as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise of those who do good. This is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The emperor who was putting to death Christians at the time. Peter says, honor the emperor. And then he goes into servants, being subject. There's that word again. Be submissive to your own masters. Even a harder thing for our culture. And that 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 passage flows right into verse 21. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would, look what he says, walk in his steps. Follow what Jesus did. What did he do? Peter Here we go. Verse 22. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Same thing. Same thing. What's he say? When when people are evil to you, what do you do? Entrust yourself to God. Why? 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 Well, that gets at the heart of why should we submit? Why should you submit? As unto the Lord, right? And as you submit unto the Lord, what are you trusting? God will take care of you. Hasn't he always done that? How did the children of Israel, how'd they get out of Egypt? How'd that happen? Do you remember? It's in Exodus. Here's what happened. They're, they're slaves. They've been taken captive by a wicked Pharaoh. I mean, they got, the guy is horrible, okay? He, he's, he's a wicked man. He puts babies to death, okay? How'd they get out of there? Well, Moses organized a grassroots political organization, and they started making YouTube ads, attack ads about Pharaoh. Started putting them on social media, hitting a thing. All the Hebrew slaves were going home at night, Facebooking about how they hated Pharaoh and how you know, he's the worst ever, you know, and they, they're, they're hitting that hard. And they, they get a news conglomerate to start broadcasting. Then they get a cool slogan that I made up and I put in my notes, but I've been afraid to use it all day because I don't think it'll offend you guys, but I'm afraid, like, you'll go tell people and then Because it, it could offend certain people, but it was really funny. I, I, I wish I could use it. Anyway, so that, anyway, they, they, they do that, and then Joshua mounts this militia, okay? And they start assassinating Egyptian masters, and then they have this coup in which they overtake Pharaoh. You don't believe that, do you? You've read Exodus? None of that is true. How'd they get out of Egypt? They went and made bricks, like Pharaoh told them to. They went and made bricks, and God so pummeled Egypt with 10 of the most horrific plagues the world has ever seen. And at the end of the 10th one, when every firstborn boy in Egypt was dead in their crib and Pharaoh said, get out of here. That's how it happened. I think God can take care of us. Can't he? I think he can take care of us. What what about when Israel, let me just give you some biblical examples. What about when Israel was overtaken by Babylon and, and they were taken into exile, chained, chained, take drug into exile into a foreign country in Babylon, slaves for 70 years. Most of the people who went would never leave. They would die there. How'd they handle that? Well, God told them how to handle it. Jeremiah 29, 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God tells him, you seek the welfare. Wherever, wherever you're put, you pray for that city. You be a good citizen. And then God told, told Jeremiah this. In 70 years, I'll bring you back. How are you going to do that? Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'll bring you back. So, last point. I hear you guys zipping up Bibles. That's when I know I've only got a few minutes left. <laughs> All right. So, is there an exception to what I've told you? Yes. So, is there an exception when you, when you don't have to obey the laws or the commands of the government? Yes. One. Are you ready? When that law or when that command is in direct opposition to what God commands you to do. Okay? Let me give you some examples of this. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, the other Puah, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. You see see what's happening? Pharaoh, the king of the land, makes a rule and says, when you're you're delivering Hebrew babies, if it's a boy, you strangle that dude before he ever has a chance to get to his mom. What do the women do? Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. But the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they're vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. God honored that. They would not, they would not commit murder even when their king told them to. Why? Because it was against their God. What about other examples? There's lots of them actually. Let me, let me give you a few. Acts. In Acts, we find the disciples being told directly by the, the governing authorities of Israel, you are not to share the gospel. You're not, to, you're not to tell the story of Jesus. What do they do? Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Acts four nineteen. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Go over to chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. I said, sorry, we can't do it. We'll do whatever you tell us to do, but but when you tell us to not preach the gospel, we we can't do that. Book of Daniel. Book of Daniel actually has a bunch, okay? Now, Daniel was part of that that group that was taken by Nebuchadnezzar. When Jerusalem was destroyed, Solomon's temple was was destroyed, um, their families were probably killed, and they're taken into Babylon and put into service into the king. And there were numerous times. Remember, Daniel opens up, chapter 1. They're told they have to eat this certain food. Well, it's against the food laws of Israel. And so Daniel, in this instance, here's what he does. This shows you that there's different ways to do this. He he, he goes to his handler, and he says, listen, we have this conviction about our God, and, and, and we know that you're told to, to feed us this, but if you'll just let us eat vegetables and water, just... Have a time period here where we'll test it, and you judge. God will be faithful, and you'll see. We'll be healthier, smarter, better workers, harder workers than any of the other guys. And the guy's like, all right, I'll give this a try. And they are. But then later, push comes a shove. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're told that they've got to bow down to the idol. When the music plays, the music plays, they won't bow down. The king gets furious. He says, I'm going to kill you. If you, if you don't bow down, the music plays. They won't bow down. They're like, King, listen, we we can't do what you're asking. It is in direct defiance to what our God has told us to do. Da- Daniel. Daniel is told you can't pray. There's a law. You can't pray to any God. But, but, but the king, for this period of time, what does Daniel do? He goes home like he always does, opens his shutters, faces Jerusalem, and prays three times a day. And he's thrown into the lion's den. But in all those things, one of the things I want to show you about Daniel, because I think this is, this is worth you seeing. In all those things, they were not arrogant. They were not disrespectful. They were not abusive to their leaders. In fact, when all that's happening with Daniel, listen to how he talks about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in which, basically, God's going to take him off the throne. And Daniel, here's the dream, and here's what he says. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed. You know what dismayed means? It means you're really sad. You're you're tore up on the inside. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream and interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Let me me interpret what he just said. King, I am so sorry that that this is what's going to happen to you. I wish it would happen to anybody else but you. Is that the way? I want you to have that political leader in your mind that you can't stand. Is that the way you would speak about them? If if God, if you found out through a dream that God was going to drive them out into the lawn of the White House and they were going to eat grass like a cow and go crazy? We need to work on that, don't we? Romans 13, 7. Here's here's the hardest part of the whole text, I think. Revenue to whom, not that part, I'm sorry. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we come to you just um, thankful, Father, for the opportunity to live in the country we live in. God, as I think about Pastor... Madia and Pastor, his brother. God, I'm so thankful, God, for the country that we live in. I'm so so thankful for for our leaders and for just laws and for freedom of religion. God, I'm thankful that we have police that are are fair and just and honest. God, I'm thankful, Father, that we have the opportunity to vote and to speak our mind and to, to support people that we want to see elected. God, all those are precious to us. But God, I pray that you would help our hearts to be right through this. God, everywhere we look in our country, we see authority being disrespected. We see police being maligned and even attacked. Father, I, I pray that people would see something so different in us that even when we disagree with authority, that we would be people that that act honorably, that speak with respect. Father, I pray that you would make us Christ-like in this, that you might receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen.